so uh, I've shared before that you know I'm pretty adamant about not overcomplicating scripture. I think uh, I think there are times that uh, there's clearly scripture that is intended for deep study and and um, times when you really have to you know roll up your sleeves and dig and and that like and I'm not also not suggesting that just reading an inch uh, deep uh, is is sufficient uh, but sometimes I think we overcomplicate uh, some of the scriptural lessons that that God would have for us and and today we're going to be looking at a, again a fairly simple fairly simple concept uh, in scripture we're going to start in um, we're going to start in verse uh, 4, 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And uh, so let's read it together. Um, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample to those that after should live ungodly and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise governments or government, excuse me. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the chance to get in your word. I pray that you just cleanse my heart, keep it pure before these people and before you. Uh, you I know that what you've taught me is uh, what I believe you're, I'm supposed to share, but Lord, just you be in the midst of this. I can't do any of this without you. Uh, the hearers can't really hear without you either. And and so, Lord, I, I just pray that, um, you know, we beg you to be in the midst of, of the lesson today. And uh, we just praise you uh, for even the opportunity and, and the platform. I, I personally just praise you uh, for just allowing me the, the chance to teach these folks. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we see a very interesting, uh, interesting situation, and if we need more copies, we certainly can get them. If if we need, um, I, I actually have, I think, one more set. Do, do do you need? I think I might have. Oh, you have the original. Okay, yeah, that's fine. It's just two pages, so I think everybody's got them. So, um, I you know, God does an amazing, uh, you know. I, I never cease to be amazed at how applicable uh, Scripture is when you're going through it verse by verse in an expository manner with a with a principle of teaching that way. How timely this is! Um, I'm going to lay out the, the the really the premise of today's message, and then and then we're just going to build it up. We're just going to support it. The reality is, if God can do something specific in an Old Testament situation where he can separate the godly and the just from the ungodly and the unjust. He can do that today. Right? That's not a difficult concept. That's not a difficult principle. 
what we find ourselves doing is trying to rationalize and trying to change society because we don't want God's judgment. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that on the old Facebook machine where, and I realize there's scriptural evidence for that. Most of it is, is based in Israel. Uh, but there's some scriptural evidence about having a nation that follows the, God, follows the Lord and, and God and how he will bless them. But it really is, especially in the New Testament, a very personal relationship with the Lord, and he will protect those that follow him. Now, that doesn't mean you'll be without pain. That doesn't mean you'll be without trial. That doesn't mean you'll be without persecution. We've actually seen that in Second Peter. We certainly would have seen it in First Peter. Um, there are things going on in and around us that will affect us. I'm not personally thrilled about the fact that next week, or actually starting tomorrow, the mayor has implemented a mandatory mask uh, protocol for any business in the in, in the in the city of, of Kansas City. I, I think it's very. I guess I'll put it in the category of wise, very uh, very cunning, very crafty that they're putting the impetus on the businesses, uh, and the health department will enforce it and, and penalize the businesses. Um, because they, in essence, I don't think have the constitutional right to force somebody to wear a mask, right? But with that being said, what they're doing is setting up a, 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 a principle that they can control through the business sector, right? They can control the masses through the, uh, you know, through, through the uh, business interaction, and, and you don't have to look very far uh, in scripture to see uh, that that process playing out uh, you know on a go forward but God will protect those that follow him it's just a principle that that we've seen many times in the Old Testament and I guess I would challenge you on your note uh, on your notes in front of you hopefully you have a pen or whatever uh, to, to think about an Old Testament so I do want you to do this think about an Old Testament situation Obviously, we, we read a few of them here in, in, in 2 Peter 4, or 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10, where God protected the individual in the midst of a bad situation. So I want you to do that. Think about God protecting the individual in the midst of a bad situation, and write that on your notes for just a second. So, so take a moment and think about that, just anywhere on your notes, in the margin, on top, bottom, back, somewhere. Uh, hopefully, you're thinking of a specific name. Uh, there's multiple examples of this in Scripture. There's multiple examples of God providing protection. Does anybody want to share any of their uh, examples, the thoughts that they've come up with? Elijah by the river. Elijah. That's the that's the definitive one that I come to. That I think that even in the, in pre preparing this, I was thinking, boy, Elijah in the midst of a really bad situation, a famine, and that like where everything is going just really bad, no rain, right? But he is taken care of. Any others? And it's fine if you wrote Elijah, and that's any others. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So in that situation, right, there was a lot going on, but God honored that, uh, that at least that familial relationship. Any others? Esther. Esther, in the midst of a, a really uh, crazy situation, crazy time, God honored uh, relationship. Any others? responsibility and 
Abigail, any others? And that triggered a thought I hadn't hadn't even thought of in preparation. Rahab, uh, when you said Abigail, I don't know why that triggered Rahab, but right in the midst of a very you know sinful city and a, and a people that was against God, God provided a way of protection. So we see this pattern through Scripture. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this, and I you know there's times in Scripture that I think. Uh, breaking it down by structure is really important. And I, I tried to do that today, both in the notes and on the screen. And I apologize, Amy, if you can't see it, if it's too small. But this is really representative on your notes. So you don't necessarily have to see it on the screen. But if God is able to do these things, okay? If God didn't spare the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. If he did that, and if he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, and I think it's interesting that he even includes by saying the eighth person, so there was a small number of people, right? If God didn't save the old, or spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So if he didn't spare the angels, if he didn't spare the world, um, and if he was able to turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them, making them an ensample that everybody after should live, and delivered not just, that's just there is not like the, the, the concept of only. He, it's, you can't substitute delivered only lot, it's delivered righteous lot, just in that concept context, right? Delivered righteous lot, although he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. If God is able to do those things, then, and the, then I put in brackets, that's Mitch, Mitch's word, it's a, it's a big complex if-then sentence. Believe it or not, this is all one sentence, right? And that was, uh, and so if you're looking at scripture, if you start in verse 4, or look at the end of verse 3, there's a period. Start in verse 4, it ends in a col- uh, semicolon. Verse 5 ends in a semicolon. And verse 6 ends with a semicolon. Verse 7 ends with a colon and a parenthetical. Verse 9 ends with a colon and includes verse 10. This is all one very long sentence. I think I've said it before in here. I know I've said it in teaching. I'm not sure Paul passes English class because of the run-on sentence concept, right? Like, you know, he, or I I said Paul, Paul does it too, but Peter uh, in this case, right? Uh, I I do know that Paul didn't write the book of 2 Peter. Um, But guys tend to have a, uh, tend tend to do this in scripture. They have these very long, complex concepts and, or sentences, and they just break down. So if, God could do this, then the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished. And he's talking about the unjust of then and now. Right? So if God is able to do this, then he's able to do this. And again, I don't, I don't think most of us struggle with that concept. If we think, boy, if God was able to deliver the nation of Israel out, could he deliver our nation? Well, yes, he can. So then it gets back to a question of will he or would he choose to do so, right? So so if God is able to do this, then he is able to do this. So what I did is I, I put it into a personal application. Uh, you know, some people do it as a logic sentence. You can scribble it on your page differently if you want. But if God did specific specific events A, B, C, and D, right? Angels, 
didn't spare them, the ones that were that sinned, but cast them out, the first part. And if he delivered um, Noah, the eighth person, and he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with an overthrow, and delivered righteous or just Lot, then he can do ENF. He has proven that he is able. He has, he has proven the formula. He's proven the formula through Scripture, through some of the additional examples that we gave. God is able. Okay, there's your big, the big take-home point today. God is able. This is his ability to separate those in judgment. This is actually an easy thing for God to do. To separate in judgment, I think we shortchange God by thinking, boy, if our nation doesn't turn, then it's going to be rough on us. Except for the fact that God's like on our side. Right? Now, that doesn't mean we won't have struggles. We won't have turmoil. We, want, might, we might even go a little hungry or we might be forced to wear masks or, or whatever. Right? There might be trial. People might get arrested for holding services in the midst of a pandemic. They might, old, little old people who were driving to a drive-in church service might be turned away. Like, there will still be trouble. There will still be uh, tribulation. Not the tribulation, but there will still be tribulation on the Christian. But God's on our side. If he was able to do those things, then he's able to separate the just from the unjust. And I think we might lose sight of that a little bit, right? We might lose sight of that a little bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive a little deeper into some of the words that I felt like jumped out at me uh, in, in this. And this first concept that jumped out, and, and it was actually, and again, I apologize. I know there's a lot of words on the page here on the screen. Part of this is so that we can put it on the, the, uh, the web page. So... So Brandon, not in addition to, to doing the, the audio on the web page and the notes, he's going to start trying to, to upload the PowerPoints as well. So we're getting there. We're getting some traction behind us. But spared is held back, right? So if you spare something, you're holding back what is rightfully theirs, which is kind of like the concept of, of, of mercy, right? That God could have applied mercy, but he didn't. Notice what he says if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down, and he spared not the old world, but saved Noah. Right? So it's this interesting kind of contrast. Because in one case, he spares, spares not the angels, but goes ahead and casts them. In the other case, he spares not the world, but saves Noah. Right? It's an interesting concept, content, or, uh, contrast. So we see in Deuteronomy 29, I think at least part of that's on your on your page. Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 20. Notice this. It says, Lest there should be any, any among you, man or woman, family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass, when he, this person heareth the words of the of this curse that he bless himself in his heart saying I shall have peace though I walk in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst so this person that's going out and going to serve other gods even though he hears the curse kind of doubles down in his heart doubles down in his soul saying no it's going to be okay I'm 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 good it's not a problem look at verse 20 the lord will not spare him the Lord will not spare him. 
It's almost as if in verses 18, he has this rebellion. But in verse 9, when he hears the words of the curse, instead of it convicting him and drawing him back to the Lord, he causes himself, as I said before, to double down in his sin and reject the curse as a non-event. And by rejecting the curse, that's the point at which the Lord is going to say, okay, I'm not going to spare you anymore. I've given you your chance. Matter of fact, I've given you two chances at, at, at the very least. So the person that pulls you away from the Lord and then intentionally ignores God uh, when he works through, inevitably works through his Holy Spirit to, to seize that, that's a person that's not going to be spared. They're not going to be held back from the judgment. Ezekiel 5.11 and then subsequently in 7, Wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things and with all thy abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee. Neither shall my eye spare, neither will I have any pity. So again, this concept of, of sparing, God's not going to spare, look at this, the person that's defiled the sanctuary with detestable things and with abominations. Now again, you know, Christ's blood covers, covers, right? If someone has accepted Christ and has applied his sacrifice and, and that sort of thing, I'm not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that if a believer does this, that they will, uh, that they will lose their salvation or anything like that. But in the Old Testament, clearly the line is drawn here. Clearly, Ezekiel is saying, look, if this is the way you're going, that's a reflection of your heart. Right? That's a reflection of your relationship with the Lord. If you go into his sanctuary with detestable things and with abominations, he can't get, I can no longer guarantee your safety. You know, there are places in the, in the world that the State Department says, I mean, maybe pre-COVID, I don't know, I haven't looked recently, but you can go there, but we can't guarantee your safety. Not that they can really guarantee our safety anywhere, but... But I think you're following the, 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 the track that there are places in the world where the State Department says, you know, the best we might do is to bring your body home. Like, like you go there and it could be extremely dangerous. And that's kind of the sense that I'm picking up from the Lord in this situation. There are places you can go where I can't spare you anymore. I can't save you anymore. Again, not saying save from a salvation perspective, but just your the situation is going to reap what is sown. Ezekiel 7, 4, and then 9. And my eye shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity, which I think is interesting to tie the concept. We also saw that before, tie pity uh, with it. But I will recompense my ways upon thee, and thine abomination shall be in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So it's like, whoa, that is an amazing, like, I don't want to know that God's God because of his judgment. I want to know God's God because of his love and his grace. But, but it's clear here in Ezekiel, uh, you know, I'm sure it's Ezekiel speaking, right? Uh, the words of the Lord saying, look, the abominations will be in the midst of thee. And because of that, you're going to know I'm God. You want to choose to chase that, that lifestyle. You want to chase or choose to chase that sin. So be it. 
you will know I'm God because of the judgment. Continue in verse 9. It's actually a very similar, very parallel passage. And mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to thy way, to thy ways, and thine abominations that are in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the, the Lord that smiteth. Like, you're gonna know, like I remember as I was a young man, I had a flat tire one time. And I, I remember talking to my pastor and I was like, well, maybe this is just God dealing with me. And he's like, maybe. But chances are if God's dealing with you, you're going to know it's God dealing with you. Like, it could just be that you had a flat tire. You know, maybe he was protecting you from something else or whatever. Like, like don't just assume that it's because it's a bad thing God's judging you. Like, when God judges people and when God makes his, his ways known, he, he backs that up with the Holy Spirit. Like, you're going to know that God's in the midst of that judgment. And that's what's said here in Ezekiel 7, verses 4 and verse 9. You shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. Like, you're going to know that I'm God. So this ways of man and the abominations, right, uh, that, that they're, they're going to create a situation where God will not spare them. And then the next word that really jumped out at me when we look back at, at 2 Peter chapter 2. So if in verse 4 we didn't spare, in verse 5 they weren't spared. But look in verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow. So how did God judge physically? How did he judge? It says it turned into ashes. How did he do that? This is. Uh, I want you to answer it. How did? How did? Right with fire and brimstone that came down from heaven. Right, and uh, we know that. Right. So it's it's interesting that the word is overthrow. Interesting here. I mean, right? It, because look at this. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow. That Greek word is catastrophe. That Greek word is catastrophe. And I literally, I think I spelled the Greek word correctly, but it's obviously not that much different in the, in the English, right? So I wanted to look, and we're going to look at a few verses of what God overthrows. Okay? So, so I'm not trying to throw you a curveball here. The English word overthrow is what we're going to look at. The Greek word in the New Testament of overthrow is catastrophe. Okay? But we're going to look at a lot of Old Testament verses about the overthrow. Genesis 19. Start in Genesis 19, 25 and 29. And he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city, and, uh, and that which grew, um, grew upon the ground. And jumping down to verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and he sent out Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And when he overthrew the cities which Lot dwelt. Like, like prior to studying this, if you would have come to me and said, Mitch, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, is the word overthrow in there? I would have probably said, I don't think so. Maybe overthrew the city or whatever. But I wouldn't have described the content, the concept of the, the event, fire and brimstone coming down as an overthrow. When I think of an overthrow, I think of like, um, with a, like a coup or somebody like overthrows the government, right? I don't think of 
judgment of God. But clearly in Genesis 19, 25 and 29, he uses that the, the word or some form of the word three times. And he overthrew those cities and in the midst of the overthrow and when he overthrew the cities. So like, that's a lot. And I think I missed bolding that one. Look in Deuteronomy 29, now referencing it, and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning, that it is not sown, nor beareth, nor any grass groweth, which is kind of interesting that, like, the, the punishment or the judgment lasts, right? But look, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. So two more times in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 29 and verse 23, we see this word of overthrow, this, this concept of catastrophe, this concept of I'm literally taking it from the foundation and I'm turning it over. Like I'm starting, I'm wiping it clean. Jeremiah 50, verse 40, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor, city, uh, neighbor cities thereof, Right? Lamentations 4 6, for the punishment of the iniquity of the daughters of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown in a moment. So literally, I mean the only thing I can think of is like the the um, snow globe. It's all messed up. Or the ant farm. I don't know, fill in the blank with your illustrative. But like literally despite the physicalness of fire and brimstone raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah, he overthrew them. He overthrew them. And this is a God that, that knows how to do judgment, right? So let's not lose, lose sight of, of that. So now we're going to look at a couple other things. So this part is just still from 2 Peter chapter uh, 2 and verse 6. Look at Exodus 14.27. These are other things that are people that are overthrown. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to, to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Complete destruction, right? Psalm 136, verse 15, but, over, uh, but, but oh, God but overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. So we've seen, first, the Egyptians and Pharaoh. The second here is in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4, we actually don't see that it happens, but it's going to happen. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. How? By God and his hand of judgment. Obviously that plays out a little different after his after he does after he obeys. Haggai two twenty two, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of kingdoms uh, of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots. So what what is the thing that God overthrows there? This kind of power of man. Right? So he is dealt with sin and dealt with debauchery in Sodom and Gomorrah by an overthrow. But we also see in, in these other examples of what he overthrows is this kind of strength of man, right? And I couldn't help, I wasn't 100% sure. Sometimes I, you know, I, I am, I will admit, I'm insecure sometimes in studying scripture because I think I know the story, but there are so many times I go back and God kind of kicks me in the spiritual tail and says, 
no, you're applying your own remembrance or you're applying your own intellect or you're applying or, or just plain forgetting. Uh, and so there's so many times I feel uh, it, it, almost insecure, but I thought, well, didn't Jesus overthrow the tables? But I wasn't sure. And sure enough, that word appears in these three references in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and John 2. Jesus overthrows the tables. I mean, that's literally like there's nothing left. Now, obviously, fire and brimstone didn't come down. He didn't flood them over like, like uh, you know, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, right, in the Red Sea. But the thing that was happening on the table was no more. And it's just, again, look, he can spare or spare not. He's good at judgment. He can overthrow, like, with the concept of annihilation. But then this last says this concept of delivery. Delivery. And it, and again, it happens twice in our, back in our, our passage of, of 2 Peter chapter 2. So he, in verse 7, delivered just Lot with the filthy conversation of the, of the, of the wicked. And, it, and then jump down to verse 9 after the parenthetical. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. So delivering is kind of a big deal to God. He delivers us out of our sin, for sure, right? And I would argue that God is a deliverer by his nature and by his choice. That, he's, that, he, that, that he wants to be a deliverer. He wants to pull people out of the situation that they're in. Job 5, 19, He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. There's, a, there's this nature of God that he is a deliverer. That he is a deliverer. Look at, go ahead and turn over to Psalm uh, 34 for me. Spend just a minute here uh, as, as we kind of wrap up. Psalm 34. I do want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about Friday night at the end here. So Psalm 34. Start in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. What a contrast. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So the verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. But 16, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and deliver them out of their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and... Um, saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. And that's the, 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 the thing I think I want to leave, leave you with today, is I think a lot of Christians in the United States, in, in kind of modern Christianity, what I refer to as Mardell Christianity. I don't know, maybe it's derogatory, but yet it's not just nice pictures that go on your wall or, or nice you know, things in the form of a cross or, or whatever. It's not just nice pictures of eagles, but when the rubber meets the road of people dying and going to hell, people needing salvation, people needing deliverance, the, 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 
the meaty and and I'll call it the dirty work, not in a, in a negative or sinful way, but the dirty work of ministry, where marriages are on the line and relationships are, uh, you know, kids are deciding which direction they're going to go at the at the basic level of our life and our spiritual walk. Look at verse 18 again. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Right? Yea, all who will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Like, we should not be asking the Lord on Facebook or whatever to deliver us, so to speak, from the afflictions, but to deliver us through the affliction or through the tribulation. He is very capable of separating. I mean, he, he has done this. He's done it so many times it's not even funny, right? He's separate. I mean, he's he was able to save eight people out of a flood. He was able to save a family out of a bad, you know, out of a bad city. I was going to say four, but kind of three, right? Out of the bad city situation. He was able to take care of Elijah. He was able to take care of Abigail. He was able to take care of Rahab. He's able to do that. And if he is able to do that, then I can walk out of this door with a lot of confidence that even if the COVID-19, even if they never come up with the vaccine, even if the, the last story, I, the latest story I read is that the antibodies might only last two months in some people. We'll never get to herd immunity if antibodies only last two months. This could be the end of humanity with sarcasm font and underline, right? It's serious, but God knows how to deliver. Like, I'm sure some of the people at work, and I'm on our, our COVID response team for a company of 5,000 people dealing with tests and how we manage it. I'm sure some people are like, Mitch, you're not taking this serious. Well, God knows how to deliver. He just knows how to do it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So the last verse I'm going to share and we'll be done. Psalm 4.3 But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. He has separated us. He will protect us. We have the confidence of being under the shadow of his wings. Does that mean we will go pain-free? No. Does that mean we will have no issues? Quite the contrary. There will be issues. But I'm going to put this, this before you. Stop pushing against the issues of whatever society is pushing at us and just start drawing nigh to a God who promises to protect and deliver. Like, that is enough. At the end of the day, whatever man throws at me, God can't. I mean, God, God, God can totally overcome that. There's nothing that 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 sneaks under his, uh, you know, that sneaks past his uh, his defense, you know, his defense of me, his strong tower, right? So I hope that makes sense. It is a very basic concept that because God can do these things in the Old Testament and has done them even in the New Testament, uh, earlier New Testament, that He can do them in our lives. But I think we forget them. I think we forget that. God delivered a whole nation through a Red Sea. That God delivered... I, I mean, have you ever thought about literally the plague? I mean, I realize the COVID situation is not ideal. It's it's bad. But it's got like a 1% on a, on a high end. 
It's got a 1% fatality. Can you imagine the bubonic plague which wiped out dozens of millions of people? Like, could you imagine trying to have church in the midst of that and trying to be a Christian and a believer in the midst of that situation? God delivers. Does that mean everyone that died, had, well, clearly they were not a Christian? No, but he delivers. He delivers. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for, uh, the, again, the time to get together. We just ask that you take this uh, very relevant passage in Second Peter, the fact that you know how to separate uh, nations, you know how to separate um, you know, goats and sheep and, and how to put things on your right hand and on your left. Even, even in the, the very nature of your judgment, in the end times judgment, you know how to, how to have a great white throne of judgment and how to have a judgment seat of Christ. You, by your very nature, you know how to do this. And we trust you that if we just draw nigh to you and we get close to you, that it really will be okay. It doesn't mean we won't go with uh, go through issues. We certainly may, probably will. But let help us just to cling to you and cling tightly to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. But so before you're dismissed. Um,